You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Something terrible happened. The Riley and Kitty Show. <laughs> and then it happened again. Jimmy, I got one name. If this is the truth, where does it end? The Riley and Kimmy Show. And welcome to a Friday, May 5th. Thank you for choosing the Riley and Kimmy Show. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy, three very sane spectators. Well, that's questionable. Two of them definitely sane. Right behind me, they are taking their, well, starting to take their dog nap. I don't think that is a, well, reflection of the Riley and Kimmy show's upcoming content. Uh, Yes, they're in a fur bed. That is the fur kids. And to my left is Kimmy. You don't know how much I've missed all of you. And I promise you I'll never desert you again. You see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. Oh, that's Kimmy. That's right. And, and right next to me is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. Uh, are you saying hi to all the little people out there in the dark? Out there in the dark. <laughs> you know, we should cosplay as that somehow. You know, How? You know, well, I don't know. You, you, <laughs> you, you know, you could be Norma, you know. Sure. You don't like that idea? Okay. You know, that's one movie I hope they never, ever remake. Oh, I know. I like that movie. Yeah, Sunset. Don't touch that Yeah, movie. Sunset Boulevard. I'm kind of upset that uh, Universal's about to start working on The Creature of the Black Lagoon. They've finally agreed on a, a writer and stuff. Mm. That's scary. Maybe yeah. Maybe not in a good way. Yeah. Leave it be. Mm-hmm. Right? I agree. Yes. Have to see The Creature again. You know, I need my doses of, especially mm-hmm. the music and stuff. Right. Love it. Welcome to the Riley and Kimmy Show. Thank you for choosing us for your nerd alternative. We are your pop culture escapism source. That's right. Tell your friends. You found a daily variety talk show that talks about nerd stuff. We can't say geek. Kimmy has banned that word because Kimmy is watching a Tyrone Power movie recently with me. Classic movie. And she's like, Oh my, that is where the word geek comes from. They reveal that in the film, and, well, uh, once she realized... Google it, Circus circus Geek. Yeah, once Kimmy uh, found out what uh, that meant, she was like, "Uh, that's it, I'm I'm done. Uh, Don't want to hear that word anymore. And the movie, by the way, is Nightmare Alley. Kind of revolves around the world of uh, circus. (laughs) And... Gibby, actually, it was, you know, you were stunned because the character talks about the word geek and mm-hmm. and explains what it is, kind of. And Well, no, he just inferred that that was yeah, the, yeah, you know, like the, lowest, the lowest thing you could possibly I mean, 
possibly be at the circus. And I'm like, what I mean, does I, that mean? And yeah, I Googled it. And, uh, I told you. I, uh-uh. I, no, you didn't believe me because I told you what it meant. Uh-huh. And I said, yeah, it's lower than somebody scooping elephant, you know, mm-hmm. material. Dung. Yeah, that's left around. I said, this is like the lowest, the, the, the bottom of it. And boy, she was stunned. So she said, you can't say that word anymore. It's interesting, though, how the word is actually a positive Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's turned into yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's like yeah okay that's a that's an okay term but it's it really it, it, it's not so tell your friends you found a nerd place a pop culture place you know the uh, uh what can i say here the uh unnormal place right hmm. not you know the cool place the normal impaired place maybe cool place what are, what are we, Fonzie's people here? Hey. <laughs> okay. Anyhow, tell your friends about us and have them like our Facebook page and other social media, too. You can follow us along, find out where we will be next. We have an event page, by the way, available right on our website. Also, those social media links like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and many others. And also archived episodes and celebrity interviews, videos, and so much more. You can find all of that on our website. And what is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com And being a Friday, May the 5th, I have a question for you, Kimmy. Are you able and willing to play nerd and pop culture geek trivia? Why, yes, I am. We're going to be asking you some questions coming on this Flashback Friday. And by the way, stick with us because I guarantee we will be going back in time, not just with trivia here, but with something when trivia concludes. We definitely will be honoring Flashback Friday with something very special. Stay tuned, as I used to say. Don't touch your knobs. That's another thing they used to say. Yes, yes. Don't touch your knobs. Yes, don't touch them. Don't, especially don't touch your knobs while you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show. That is a no-no. Correct, Kimmy? Right. Yeah, yeah. Don't touch the knobs. We'll be asking Kimmy some questions. Feel free to shout out the answers to her if you think she might be getting something wrong or about to or is struggling. She deeply appreciates that because she believes in time travel answers and also psycho, I mean, no, uh, uh, psychic answers. Yeah, psychic, you know, help. Yeah, she believes that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she has that psycho, I mean, psychic ability. That's Kimmy with her ESP. It's a Friday, May 5th. We're going to the very first question for you, Kimmy, and it's the world of music, one of your favorite categories, I think, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, you probably have heard of Billboard magazine, correct? Mm-hmm. Because that favorite countdown you used to listen to as a kid and write down all the numbers of positions and things like that used to use Billboard as its chart service to determine the weekly countdown. Now, it was originally called The Billboard, and then they shortened it to Billboard, sort of like Facebook was originally The Facebook, and became Facebook. Mm-hmm. Sounds better, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Yes. Can't imagine saying, I'm on The Facebook today. Now, you can, re- you, know, you do still hear some geezers that do that. You know, some of the newbies that are up there in years that are on Facebook, like some of our friends, like Tom Ralph, the show promoter of Daytona Beach, he'll say The Facebook. Really? Oh, yeah. He does that all the time. Talks about when he's playing horseshoes and things like that, too. He's just one of those guys, you know? Hmm. So, the billboard 
was was what it was originally called, then later referred to Billboard. So that's what you heard Casey Kasem refer to in the countdown for American Top 40. My question for you, Kimmy, is when did the Billboard begin weekly publication instead of monthly? They were around for six years, and they did monthly publications of the charts and music and things like that. Not really charts, but it was music information. Then they became a weekly I have a feeling influenced by Variety magazine and things like that. What year did this happen? Was it 1900, 1920, 1940, or 1960? 1960? It was 1900. They needed their music information right then and now. Wow. And which is kind of interesting when you extremely important and they were able to afford that and make a profit and wow. grow 1494 Kimmy this person this explorer sighted Jamaica this was his second trip to the western hemisphere he named the island Santa Gloria now can you tell me who that explorer was Christopher Columbus that's correct 1494 that happened 1891, Music Hall was dedicated in New York City. It was later renamed Carnegie Hall. It was 1904. The perfect game of Major League was thrown by Cy Young of the Boston Red Sox. That was against the Philadelphia Athletics. It was the first perfect game under modern rules. Do you know what the modern rules? What were the old rules? Hmm. Do you know what the you know, really old, old rules were? Mm-mm. Is that when they used to be able, and I'm not kidding here, you could strike somebody out or get them out in the game by throwing the ball and hitting them. Hmm. I think you used to be able to throw the ball at them. Yeah? Ouch. I don't know. <laughs> You're out. Maybe in more than one way. Yeah. I don't know if that's obscure thing. No, Mike Kales, nobody. No, 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 Mr. Sports, you don't have to respond. That's okay, pal. <laughs> that's okay. But I think maybe in the old, like, they did that. Not 100% on that. 1925, John T. Scopes, a biology teacher in Dayton, Tennessee, was arrested for teaching Darwin's theory of evolution. It became known as the Scopes Monkey Trial. Have you ever seen the movie about that starring Spencer Tracy? No. And he played Darren on Bewitched, the first one to play it. Dick Mm. York. He plays Scopes. Hmm. Nope. Fascinating thing. By the way, WGN Radio which was only a few months old in Chicago, covered the trial every day of it. This was big. First of all, radio was so new, people thought it was magic. And it cost them, in 1925, $1,000 a day to cover that trial. And they covered it. They had play-by-play. They were allowed to move things around in the courtroom. They had microphones positioned in multiple places, and they had their commentator. There is not a single surviving anything of this. There was no recording at that time period. Very crude recordings were around, but they did not record this. And the movie I was referring to with Spencer Tracy and Dick York does have WGN clearly in that. Hmm. It's a really, really cool piece of broadcast history. See what you learn here with the Riley and Kimmy Show, Kimmy? Uh And think about that. They were from Chicago, and they were covering something in Tennessee. But because how powerful that radio station was could get into so many states, they had tons of listeners across the country. Okay. 
1956, Jim Bailey became the first runner to break the four-minute mile in the United States. He was clocked at three minutes, 58 seconds, or actually 58.5 seconds. Okay. You're going to try to beat that at an upcoming event. Uh, no. Yes, yes, Kimmy. <laughs> You're going to try and beat that. No? No. All right. See if you paid attention to history and to the Riley and Kimmy show and to your visits out to Kennedy Space Center. It was on this date, 1961. He said something sort of like this. His quote was, let's light this candle. This person became the first American in space when he made a 15-minute suborbital flight. He also asked for permission to relieve himself in his astronaut suit because they had not thought of you know, having that kind of issue at that time. And they had a delay in his launch, and, well, the astronaut had to go. Who was this astronaut? Tougher than nails. Matter of fact, he was scheduled to go on Apollo 13 because he he was bumped because of his health conditions for a period of time, so he did not do Gemini. But he did everything he could health-wise to turn things around so he could get certified to go back with Apollo. He did. He had the option to go to Apollo 13 and bump Jim Lovell, but he chose not to do that. He took 14 instead. He was very, very tough. This former naval aviator, this former naval commander, his secretary would put a happy face picture of him if he was in an okay mood in the morning. If he was in his grumpy mood, she had a grumpy face picture of him that he allowed to be taken that was on the door next next to his door. So they knew what they were getting when they were coming in. I like that idea, by the way. So can you tell me who he is? Very colorful. You've actually got a picture next to his one of his cars, his uh, Corvette that he used to race down the road in uh, over in Titusville. Can you tell me who he is, Gibby? The, the first American to actually go into space, suborbital, did not go around the Earth, but went up and then went back down. No. Alan Shepard. Alan Shepard. Yes, Kimmy. Alan Shepard. I don't know how you got that one. Uh, he went up today in 1961. It was on this date in 1966. Tell me this baseball player, Kimmy. He broke the National League record for home runs when he hit his 512th. Who, in 1966, would have done that? And if I'm not mistaken, he was playing for the San Francisco Giants when he did this. Hank Aaron? No. Willie Mays. Okay. In 1966. And we owe, or I do at least, a big thank you to Mike Kales of Palm Coast, Florida, from well, of Mike's Dead Formats, for getting me the Willie Mays 3D card back mm -hmm. a ways. We had talked about that, and I'd had that as a kid, and it was one of those that was like in the hostess packs and things like that, and it just did not survive the cor course of time. And that card means more to me. I mean, its value may not be worth that much, but it just it's precious to me. And I deeply appreciate Mike, you know, thinking of us and finding that and, and giving giving that card to me. It means a means a lot. It was on his date 1968, Buffalo Springfield performed their final concert in Long Beach, California. It was 1969. Stevie Wonder met this president at the White House. Who did he meet? In what year? Thank you for paying attention to the Riley and Kimmy show. Glad you're glued there. Uh, the year, 1969. Nixon. 
Are you confident with that? Yes, Kimmy, it was President Richard M. Nixon. 1969, the Pulitzer Prize is awarded to Norman Mailer for Armies of the Night. It was on this date, 1978. This baseball player, he played for the Cincinnati Reds, registered his 3,000th major league hit. My question for you, Kimmy, is who did that? He was part of the Cincinnati Reds. Pete Rose. You're you're sure about this? Mm -hmm. You're right, 1978. The year 1984, Chrissy Hind of what group? The Pretenders. Yes, marries Jim Kerr of Simple Minds. They were married, 1984. It's 1991 in New York. Carnegie Hall celebrates its 100th anniversary. Pay attention. You know the answer. Give it a shot here. Are you ready? Mm Mm-hmm. 1999. This person was named Artist of the Decade. This was at the 34th Annual Academy of Country Music Awards, the CMAs. Can you tell me what artist would have been given that award, been named the Artist of the Decade? It's 1999. He is. That's it. I don't have any more clues. Yes, he crossed over into pop. Some compare him to Elvis in ways because the amount of uh, love to him. Some even thought he would go into film, but he did not. Um, he decided to just quit at his hiatus. Okay. He decided okay. to go on hiatus at at his peak and then came back. Yep. I can see him. Where's his name? Um, that would probably be. Come on, Kimmy. I've talked about him before. Many times. He's one individual. He truly, the word entertainer. I don't even think of him as a country artist. He is an entertainer, a showman, a show person. He's one I wish you could see perform. There are a couple I would love you to see perform. Him and Jimmy Buffett, is, even though they're two different you know, styles and people, just because they are entertainers and performers. Garth Brooks. Yes, it is Garth Brooks. 1999, that happened. It was the year 2000. The final episode of Boy Meets World aired on ABC. Have you ever seen that? No. Moving over to celebrity and notable birthdays. I've got my saddle. On my horse. Well, this person helped cowboys, Kimmy. He was an American hatter, a hat manufacturer, and in the 1860s, he invented the cowboy hat. Now, my question for you is... All you need to tell me is his last name. There is a college, a university. Stetson. Yes, I was going to say in Deland, Florida, with his name in 1900. What's his name again, Kimmy? Stetson. Yes, John B. Stetson, who was born in 1830, created the first law school in Florida, Stetson University Law School. And by the way, in Deland, Florida, Stetson owned a mansion. That's where he died in 1906. At the age of 75. See, you actually were dreading that question, but you knew the answer. 
Hmm. And what's the name of their, one of the teams? The Hatters. Oh. Because of mm-hmm. John B. Stetson. Okay. Now, before he came on with a cowboy hat, they used to wear like uh, coonskin caps and even like sailor hats, captain's hats and stuff out in the West. And they they weren't doing too well with those. And he discovered that. And he's like, well, I think I can make something better. And he made a fortune hmm. with that. Kind of a cool thing when you think about that, mm-hmm. in a way. Next person born on this date in history, 1914, died extremely young. If I just wonder what would have happened if he had not film-wise because... He had a rich career in his earlier years, and then it was cut short. Tyrone Power, born 1914, died at the age of 44 in 1958 of a heart attack. He was an actor. Better known films include The Mark of Zorro, Blood and Sand, The Black Swan, Prince of Foxes, Witness for the Prosecution, The Black Rose, and Captain from Castle. Now, Tyrone Power's own favorite film among all those he starred in was Nightmare Alley, which is what we just talked about at the start of this show. To make that film, Nightmare Alley, more believable, the producers built a full working carnival on 10 acres at the 20th Century Foxback lot. Now, the movie follows the rise and fall of a con man that's played by Tyrone Power, a story that begins and ends at a seedy traveling carnival. Kimmy got creeped out about that ending, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Tyrone Power is one of the top 100 box office moneymakers of all time. Wow. Please check him out if you have an opportunity. So many retro movie channels do run his material. I love even the kind of cheesy stuff that he's in. I love all, all his work. It's just great watching. Next person, an actress, Kimmy. Born 1926, died 2014 at the age of 88. Tell me who this actress is. Here's your audio clue. Mr. Brady, hmm? I was wondering if, if you're not busy tonight, if I might speak to you and Mrs. Brady. It's not that I have any complaints, you understand. Some of the happiest moments of my life have been spent right here in this house. What I'm trying to say is, um, you see, I, I have this aunt of mine. Yeah, my uncle's wife. And, and she, she's getting along in years, and, and now she's developed this ailment in, in, her, in her liver. Or her kidney, one of those things in there. Yes, she quits. Can you tell me who that is, who that actress is? Ann B. Davis. Yes, and bonus points if you can tell me the name of the character. Alice. Ooh, even extra, extra points if you can tell me Alice's last name. No. Uh, no, it wasn't Sam the Butcher's girlfriend. Uh, it was Alice Nelson and the TV show. The Brady Bunch. Yes, from 1969 to 1974. That's... Ann B. Davis, born on this day, 1928. Next person, an American country music singer, songwriter, and one of country music's best-known artists and biggest-selling female singers. Identify who the birthday person is, Kimmy, with this audio clue, a number one hit for them on the country charts, and position number 19 in 1968. Something warm to come to when nights are cold and lonely. Stand by your man and show the world you love him. 
Yes, that's Hillary Clinton's favorite song, I think, of all time. Can you tell me the name of that recording artist? Tammy Wynette. That's right, Tammy Wynette, and very powerful singer. She did not like that song when it was given to her. She didn't even want to record it, and somebody urged her to do that, and she listened to them, and then it became her signature song. Kind of interesting. She's like, I, I don't know. Next, next. Next person, actress Kimmy. She has been married to actor Warren Beatty since March 3rd, 1992. They have four children. Can you tell me who the actress is? Um, yeah. And it's not Mrs. Beatty. <laughs> Can you please tell me who the actress is? I think she starred in Bugsy with him, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, what the heck is her name? Yes, it's her. Yep. Yes. Tell I me. I know who it is. You do? Okay. Then tell us who it is, Kimmy. Who is she? Um, must that be, would be... Must be one of Kimmy's favorites. Melanie... No, no not Melanie no. Griffith. No, oh that was... Oh, my goodness. Wasn't that Don Johnson? Yeah. Yeah, Don Johnson. No, not right her. Here. No, we're talking um, about Warren Beatty. Yes, I know. The guy who played Dick Tracy. What are Dick her Tracy. initials? A.B. Annette Benning. Annette Benning. How old is Annette Benning today within five years? 60. You get it. She's 59 today. The next person, Kimmy, tell me how old he is once you identify who he is. He is the actor known for playing Superman in Man of Steel in 2013 and Batman vs. Superman Donna Justice in 2016. Who is it? Henry Cavill. Yes. How old is Henry today within five years? 32. He is 34, so you get that. That's actually the age he was in Man of Steel, supposed to be. I think 33, 34. He was 33. So he's right at, you know, the age he was playing in the film. Moving over to another part of trivia. I see dead people. It is Notable Deaths, and the person has a name of somebody who's extremely famous in the world of music and films, but it's not that person. It's actually somebody who was known before the composer. That is John Williams. Passed away 1983. Actor... Died at the age of 80. He was an English stage film and television actor. You can see him in some things like uh, various retro shows back in the 50s into the 60s. He's remembered for his role as Chief Inspector Hubbard in Alfred Hitchcock's Dial M for Murder. Fantastic. And as the chauffeur in Sabrina. And if you liked Family Affair, he played the second Mr. French. Hmm. You remember the first Mr. French? Mm -hmm. Who played that? Who did he replace? Mm. Sebastian Cabot. Yes. Remember him? Uh-huh. Next person passed away on this date in history. Passed away 2013. Robert Ressler. Kimmy, can you tell me what Robert Ressler was known for? Let's see how good and obscure trivia she is. Oh, he um He was an investigator? I'll accept that. And he coined a certain term do you know what the term was he's credited with creating this term looking into the abyss that's his and... yeah you're right about his book you're yes that's one of the books he wrote whoever fights monsters my 20 years tracking serial killers whoever you have to be careful looking into the abyss so the abyss does not look into you okay that's pretty much the paraphrase of the quote he was a former fbi agent and author he played a significant role in psychological profiling of violent offenders in the 1970s and is often credited with the coining of the term serial killer. Oh. Yes. Fantastic book, by the way. The one we talked about, Whoever Fights Monsters. 
that is a, an interest of yours. Check that out. I highly recommend it. I attended a, a uh, Q&A he did many years ago, actually right eh, probably a little bit before when that book was released. It's right before I met Kimmy. I attended that at a university. Hmm. It's pretty cool. I think you did a fantastic job. You actually threw me getting Robert Ressler because mm-hmm. I thought that that's like as about as obscure as I could get. Mm. Kimmy amazes me at times. You are. You're amazing, Kimmy. It is a Flashback Friday, and as promised, we're going to go back in time and honor Flashback Friday with something from Trivia. Radio And that's the Riley and Kimmy show. He did a lot of, he just did a ton of films and he still found time to do the golden age of radio. And that is Tyrone Power. Fantastic read. Very good voice. We have a couple of examples of his fine work. One of them, Strike a Blow for Liberty from 1948, followed by The Guilty. Always run. Two different types of shows to give you an idea of just how talented Tyrone Power was. First one, Strike a Blow for Liberty. 1948 is the year when it first aired. Here's Tyrone Power on The Riley and Kimmy Show. The DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, presents The Cavalcade of America. And here is our star, Tyrone Power. Good evening. After so many months in Europe, it's a wonderful feeling to be back in the United States. I'm happy to make my first appearance since my return on the Cavalcade of America. Tonight's play is called Strike a Blow for Liberty, and in it I play the part of Thomas Forty. Strike a Blow for Liberty, starring Tyrone Power as Thomas Forty. It's 1781. Cornwallis has just surrendered at Yorktown, and a great American victory has been won. And in New York, in a small, barren room, a young man bends over his writing tablet, his pen in hand. I, Captain Thomas Forty, 26 years old and a free American, do speak to my descendants. My sons to be... God grant that this record of my experiences in the war for independence empower you with courage to speak out for the right when your hour of decision arrives, as arrive it must. The hour of decision. Aye, that's the moment that tears a man's heart. It arrived for me on a bitter cold day in the year 1778, time of the British occupation of New York. I was a printer then, keeping my opinions to myself and holding on to my snug little berth in the shop of the Loyalist Gazette. As I stood beside the press this day, a stick of type in my hand, old asymmetric, the pressman, caught my eye. Uh, Tom, heard the news? Uh, What news is that, Asa? Here you are. Go on, read it. A traveler from Philadelphia, bringing the newest intelligence... Reports General Washington's winter camp at Valley Forge to be no more than a disorganized rabble. He doubts that this so-called army could at the present time muster a full regiment. The smallpox has been rife and there have been 
Numerous desertions amounting to an exodus. Who wrote this? Our esteemed employer, Mr. Elijah Rivington, Esquire. I don't believe a word of this Tory rot. Well, I know, hey, sir. Tom. My stomach crawls up into my throat when I even think of setting it in type. If you don't, somebody else will. At your wages. You know what I mean, boy? I, I know. They're starving to death here in New York, and I have a good job, and I'd better keep my mouth shut. Correct. But what bothers me is not the British so much. They came here to fight, and they'll get licked, and then they'll go home. But it's our own disloyal Americans. Shh. These renegade Tories. Not so loud, boy. Like Rivington and that Colonel Delancey. Tom, they... don't be a fool. Ordinary people like us don't have to take sides. It's not our war. My advice is stay out of it, and you'll stay healthy. Oh, Mr. Rivington, good afternoon, Your Honor. Afternoon, eh, sir? Tom? Afternoon, sir. It's cold. Well, there's one good thing to be said for this weather. General Washington minds it more than I do. Oh, that's correct. I'll take my oath on that, sir. <laughs> By winter's end, his rabble will have frozen to death and the war will be over. And those on the wrong side of the fence will be suitably dealt with. Eh, Tom? Oh, yes, sir. But why mention that to me? It was just a thought. Oh, yes. Uh, here. Now, Tom, I want you to take this Valley Forge intelligence to France's tavern. Uh, you will deliver it to Colonel Delancey. He'll be very pleased, I'm sure. Uh, you are acquainted with Colonel Delancey, my boy? I've heard of his exploits, sir. And you do not approve. What a pity. Well, how could anyone approve of a renegade who makes war on his own countrymen? And defenseless women and children burning down their farms up there in Westchester while their husbands are away fighting. Why, it... Yes, it... Thomas. Go on. I, I'm sorry, sir. I, I didn't mean... You amazed me, my boy. Such a pity. Oh, Tom didn't mean it, sir. He's a good boy, Tom. Well, is... I should hope so. Uh, hand me that pen, Tom. I wish to accompany this article with a note to the colonel. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, here you are, sir. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Rivington, sir, I hope you didn't misunderstand that it... Oh, of course it... not. Of course not, my boy. Particularly when one considers that you were... Uh, Born up there in Westchester County, where Colonel Delancey and his men have been uh, operating. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's it, sir. Now, we'll say no more about it. There you are, Tom. The article in the note. France's Tavern. And uh, my compliments to Colonel Delancey. <laughs> Trudging through the snow-covered streets, with a cold whistling around my ears, I, I kept thinking, how long? How long can I go on saying one thing and, and thinking another? How long can I go on hating myself? Inside Mr. Francis' tavern, I found Colonel Delancey. I gave him the article and the note. Hmm. <clears throat> well, well. If there's no answer, Colonel, I'd best be getting back. Oh, what? No, my boy. First, you must fortify yourself. Have a seat, sir. What will you drink? Whiskey? Punch? Oh, thank you. I'll, I'll have some of your port wine, if I may. A pleasure. A pleasure, sir. Your health, sir? Thank you, Colonel. Ah. And now, sir, do you know what this interesting note you were kind enough to deliver to me says? No, sir, I do not. It's very simple. And eloquent. It says, arrest this man. Mr. Thomas Forter, you may consider yourself under arrest. 
Here's the new prisoner, Sergeant. Bring him in. Aye, sir. Come along, Mr. Forty. And look to it now. All right, stand aside, Corporal. Aye, sir. And you, come closer to the light, Mr. Forty. I'm a bit nearsighted, and I wish to look at your face. Oh, is, is this all right, Sergeant? Perfect. Now, don't move. <coughs> yeah, that's for nothing. Now, pick yourself off the floor and come back here. You know who I am, Mr. Forty? No. No what? No, sir. Now, that's better. All nice and clubby-like. Well, Mr. Forty, my name is Sergeant O'Keefe. I am in charge of this prison. Any objection? No, sir. I'm pleased to hear it. What are you here for? I don't know, sir. Sergeant, Colonel Delancey wants Mr. Forty taken on a escorted tour of your premises. He wants him to see everything. And then he wants to talk to him. Everything? <laughs> well, well, it'll be a pleasure. Come along, Mr. Forty. <laughs> And so I was privileged to take an escorted tour of the ill-famed Tory prison in New York, Sugar House, that vilest of all jails on the American continent. We stepped over groaning and dying men, human skeletons who fought among themselves for a scant few inches of space to lay their exhausted bodies on the floor. I saw the catacombs and the interrogation rooms. <laughs> where men were tortured until they confessed to crimes they had never committed. And finally, I was taken into the whipping room. Sixty-seven! Sixty-eight! Sixty-nine! Seventy! Well, go on, man. What are you waiting for? Now you, Sergeant O'Keefe. He wouldn't feel it. The man's dead. Oh. Too bad. Well, Mr. Forty, how many of them do you think that lily white back of yours could stand up under, huh? Well, Mr. Forty, what do you think of the sugar house, huh? And uh, how does Sergeant O'Keefe appeal to you? Colonel Delancey, I was told you had something to tell me. Would you mind telling it? Well, Tom, I understand you were born and bred in Westchester County. Is that right? Yes. Do you think you could still find your way around up in that part of the country, my boy? I'd know every foot of the ground with a sack over my head. Why? Because I intend to make Westchester the devil's own hell for every single rebel and his family who live up in those hills. Haven't you done that already? Not quite. Tom, I'm recruiting a corps of light cavalry, a small, compact unit to strike so quickly the rebels will never know what point will be next. I want every farmer in that county to go to bed each night fearful he won't live to see the light of morning. I see. And what have I to do with these plans of yours, Colonel? Oh, Tom, I want you with us. It'll be your chance to retrieve yourself, boy. You, you mean you want me to join up with the Tories? Why not? You'll be fighting on the side that's sure to win. I promise you. 
And then afterwards, well, we take good care of our friends. Well, my boy? Is there a, an alternative? Certainly. The sugar house. And I can rot there until I die. Is that it? Not at all. I give you my word as a gentleman that sooner or later I'll have you taken out. And hanged. How much time do I have to make up my mind? Oh, about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Just 30 seconds. My hour of decision. What shall I do? How is a man to know the right and wrong of a complicated thing like this? Isn't a man's first duty to live? What good is a dead body to the world? And what of the warm arms a man dreams about and, and children to come after and, and the singing and dances about the maypole with the afternoon sun hot on your head? You've got to be alive to enjoy that. Twenty seconds, Tom. What difference does it make to me who wins? There's some who are born to rule and others to break their backs in serving them. It's always been that way and it always will ever since the world began. But wait a minute. Isn't that what we, I mean, they are fighting for? Washington and, and his men? This thing they call freedom. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with, well, what of it? Is that worth dying for? Tom, your time is up. Have you made up your mind? Yes, Colonel. I... I'll stay here in the sugar house. Back to Tyrone Power as Thomas Forty. After I'd spent some months in Sugar House, the notorious prison, I, I was walking about in the deserted catacombs one day when I heard a noise. Who was that? Oh, you, you mind if I warm myself by your kettle, mister? It's cold in these catacombs. Oh, you're having your exercise period, huh? Well, now watch out for them beams or you'll bang your head. Yes, I... I haven't explored this tunnel before. Oh, say, that heat feels good. How does it happen they let you have a fire, mister? Ha! I'm privileged. Sort of an official, you might say. I bury the dead. Oh. Are you a prisoner here? That I am, mate. John Weed's the name. Been here seven months. How about you? Tom Forty. Three months, 17 days, and about four and a half hours. But what's that you're cooking? Rotten pork and rotten sea biscuit. It's been condemned for the Navy. That ought to tell you how bad it is. <laughs> but uh, what do you do with it? I eat it. I drop the biscuit in the boiling water. See? Well, that kind of cleans it up a bit. And then I fish it out. And I scrape it off. And I eat it. I told you, I'm privileged. <clears throat> you, you look as though you could do with a bite. Have one? Well, you, you're sure I wouldn't be depriving you? Oh, not at all. Ah, there she goes. Now, just fish her out and scrape her. Tom? 
Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Tom. Tom. That you, John? It is. Tom, I'm worried. They didn't wake me up for burying the tail this morning. Something's up. Maybe they'll be letting you go free. Uh, more likely they'll be hanging me. Tom, I, I, I never told you what I'd done, that they incarcerated me here in this terrible place well, here. I didn't want to ask, John. Uh, Tom, the offense I was sent here for bears a fancy name. I, I never could pronounce it. Something like esp oh, espionage. You mean you were spying for General Washington? Aye. Now listen. You know that tunnel where you first saw me cooking the biscuits? The one that leads to the dead end. That's it. Only it's not so dead. It's half dug through. And in three months, you can work your way out under the wall. And what you'll do then is what I want to talk to you about now. John that... report to the guard. Oh, there's me summons to join me ancestors. Now, quick, get this. Once you're out, you'll take yourself to Francis Tavern. I know that place. It's swarming with Tories. Let it swarm. Now, you're to go to the back stairs. Take a right turn and knock on the second door. Go after midnight. Who lives there? One of the barmaids. Her name is Ellen. She'll get you to the American lines if you'll just give her the password. Strike a blow for liberty. Now, do you think you can remember all that? Well, I can remember it, but... Who's that but... in the dark there? It's me, Corporal John Weed. Ah, come with me. Sergeant O'Keefe wants to see you. What for? Well, John, it's me private belief they're going to hang you. Don't mention I told you, though. No, I'll keep it a secret, Corporal. Can I say goodbye to me friend? Ah, who's that in there with you? It's me, Tom Forty. Forty? Well, John, you can postpone your goodbye for a while. Sergeant O'Keefe is hanging him, too. Forward, march, the both of you. I'll take care of these two, Corporal. Report back to your duties. All right, Sergeant. <laughs> Yes, I certainly will take care of these two. Hold up your head, Tom, my lad, and look straight ahead. That better, John? Ah, that's fine. Just remember, by you're dying for the best cause a man ever had. Liberty. Silence in the ranks. I was just remarking, Sergeant O'Keefe, that it's a long walk to me own hanging. I'm all tired out. Silence, I said. Why should I be silent? What worse can you do to me than hang me? Mr. Weed, one more word out of you and I'll bang this musket down on your head. Watch out for him, John. Well, what have I got to lose? Sergeant O'Keefe. Prisoners, halt. Well, what is it, Mr. Weed? I just thought you'd be interested in my last will and testament, Sergeant. Then you thought wrong. Item one, it is me considered opinion that Sergeant O'Keefe is a rum-soaked swill pot. Item Silence. two, Sergeant O'Keefe is a disgrace to the name of Ireland, which loves liberty and always will. Silence! I doubt if that's his real name anyway, and if it is, then he must be an orangeman. You ask for it, Weed, and now you're going Tom, on. watch out! I got him, Tom! Run! No, I'm holding on to his musket! Run! No, no, I can't. I, I can't Say leave you. Say goodbye, boys. Say goodbye, Tom. I can't hold up. My... Tom, goodbye. See it. Goodbye, John. Don't forget, for all John, no strike a blue spot. Liver! I will, John. I will.
is it? My name is Tom Forty. Open the door, please. What is it you want? Are you Ellen? Yes. I was sent here by a friend, John Weed. But what could he have possibly sent you here for? To strike a blow for liberty. Oh, come in. Where is John Weed? He died in the Tory prison, Sugar House, deliberately so I could get away. Oh, no. He was a fine man, John Weed, and a good soldier. Amen to that. John said you could help me to get away to the American lines up the Hudson. Can you, miss? I don't know. I'll have to think. What crime did you commit that they sent you to the sugar house? I'm not sure. I guess maybe they caught me thinking out loud. Then you weren't a soldier. In the ranks, I mean. Ellen, I was a man who sat on the fence. Who closed his eyes and tried to fool himself into believing this struggle didn't concern him. And if he only kept his eyes closed, it would all go away. And you found out it wouldn't? That's right. Well, can you help me? I can help you. Oh, good. You mind if I sit down? I'm tired. Not at all. Thank you. Let me see now. Tomorrow morning, I'll get you a forged passport and tell you how to make your way to Colonel Talmadge's headquarters. Talmadge? I never heard of him. Colonel Talmadge is in charge of the Irregulars in Westchester County. They're going after that Tory Colonel Delancey who's been burning down all the farms. Do you know that part of the country, Mr. Forty? Do I? <laughs> Do I? What <laughs> strikes you so funny, Mr. Forty? Oh, nothing. Nothing, only I'd like to see Colonel Delancey's face if he and I ever were to meet up there in Westchester. Well, it's, uh, it's getting kind of late, Miss, uh, Ellen. Yes, I think you'd best be getting some sleep. Me? But where? Oh, on the floor, you mean? Not on the floor, Mr. Forty. I mean on that bed. But there's only one. I, I mean... Quite right. There's only one bed and you're going to sleep in it. I'm going out and get you that passport. Now, good night, Mr. Forty. Uh, good night, Ellen. Your man's waiting downstairs for you. Here's your passport. Don't lose it. Oh, I, I won't. Uh, Ellen, I, I'd like to thank oh, you. Oh, never mind that. Well, maybe someday when this is all over, I mean, I, I'll come back and, and see you again. All right, Tom. In the meantime, there's something of bigger importance you can do for me. And for John Weed, too. I know. Strike a blow for liberty. <laughs> Strike a blow for liberty. Your horse is waiting for you out in the barn. Your next station is eight miles up the turnpike. White House. Name of Jennings. Strike a blow. All right, all right. I know who you are. Now, take that dapple grave there. Now, you cross the river on the ferry. When you get there, ask for Colonel Talmadge. He knows you're coming. I beg your pardon, sir. Can you tell me where I'll find Colonel Talmadge of the American Irregulars? I'm Colonel Talmadge. Oh. Oh, I'm Tom Forty. 
I'm here to help, sir. Welcome, Mr. Forty. We can use men like you. Follow along now. I... I will. I'll follow along, sir. Well, that's the story. I joined Colonel Talmadge and his men, and it took us two years to drive the Tories out of Westchester. It was hard work, and some of us died doing it. But when you believe in what you're doing, the rest is easy. What it all goes to prove is that a man can sit on a fence just so long, and then a strong wind comes along and blows him off. I speak now to all of those of you who come after me. If you should find yourselves sitting on a fence in your country's hour of crisis, don't wait too long for that wind. Jump off and strike a blow for liberty. Leave me alone all evening like that. It's way after 12 and... Listen, you told me it was all right. You told me to go. Answer the phone, will you? Okay. Or do you expect me to leap across the room okay, and... Okay, okay. Hello. Hello? Hello? Hello, anybody there? Well... Nobody there. What's the matter? I thought I heard something. Hello? Hello? Hello, hello? Somebody playing a joke, Jeff? I guess so. Karen? I don't start anything, Janie, huh? Was it Karen? Janie, baby. Janie. What? Listen. Sure. Sure, sweetie. What do you want me to listen to? It's not my fault you've got your hip in a cast. It's not your fault I've got my hip in a cast, dear. Oh, cut it out, will you? I'm clumsy. I go along on vacations to the beach and fall off a surfboard and break my hip and my husband meets another... Are you going to answer the phone? Uh-uh. No. Bring the phone over to me, Jeff. Let me answer it. Sure. Here. Hello? What's the matter? You tell me. I asked you a question. What's the... Here, you take the phone. Hello? <laughs> Who is this? Hello? Help me. Help me, Jeff. Yes, this is... Jeff. This is Jeff. Who... Hello? Hello, hello. Well, whoever it was hung up, Janie. Who was it, Jeff? I don't know. Was it Karen? Now, why don't you cut that out? It was a girl. Was it Karen? 
Karen sounded like she needed help. Loaded, probably. What does she look like? You never told me. Very tanned, very tall. And very beautiful. She really is. Calling here after midnight. Doesn't she know you're married? Didn't you tell her? I told her. You better go see if she's all right. Now listen, Karen... You'd better go see. Yeah. was eight miles from Zuma Beach. Nearly two in the morning and a full moon and a few clouds and phosphorescence riding the lip of the surf. No one was home at Karen Lawrence's house. Her white convertible wasn't there either. I went home. Janie was sleeping, so I waited till morning to tell her. Then I went out on the beach and started to work on the surfboards with Lou, a friend of mine who'd taken the place next door. You know how I'd raise this, Dent? How? Put a beer bottle cap on it, then set a hot iron on the cap. The dental pop right up. Yeah, I might try it when... Hi. Oh, hello there. Ah, hello. I'm Phyllis George. Which one of you is Jeff? Not Lou, huh? Jeff. <laughs> Always Jeff. Me. What did you do with Karen? What are you talking about? I drove out to see her. We were going shopping today. She's not home. The inside of her house is a wreck. Why ask me? She told me yesterday she was going to load up her surfboard and try to trap you into some moonlight surfing. How did she make out? She made out good. Yeah, we went surfing. Where's Karen, Sonny? All right, baby. I'm going to the cops. We finished resurfacing the boards after that. Not much talk. I kept looking down the road for the cops that girl promised. No cops. After a while, I said to Lou, see you, and went back to Janie. Carried her out to the strand of white beach we bought for the summer. Oiled her back and her shoulders and her arms and then her face. Then lay down and set the ball of sun spinning. And that's how a day got done. Around ten that night, the moon was low but gaining altitude fast. Jeff? Yeah, honey? It's a beautiful night out there. Very beautiful. Uh-huh. No sense you sitting around listening to the radio. Why don't you take the board, go surfing in the moonlight? No, no, Janie, I... Listen to me, sweetie. If I could, I'd go with you. There's nothing right now I want more to do. So you go, huh, sweetie? Don't let me ruin all of it for you. Oh, Janie, I don't you mind. You go, take the board and go, because I asked you to. Because I want you to. I went. And the waves were coming in gentle and fast and moon-crested from about 150 yards offshore. I paddled the board out, easy and slow, to where the moon was shaping them. It's where I saw her. Karen. Her hair floating and woven in a web of kelp. And her face moon white. And her lips and splotches of color on her throat where the bruises were. 
Karen in the wet shroud of a silk dress. Dead Karen. In the sodden jacket I'd lent her the night before. When I got back to the house, Janie was asleep. I didn't wake her. I got into some clothes, went out to the car. Hey, wait a minute. Is that you, Jeff? Yeah, it's me, Lou. Lou, come out here a minute, will you? Uh, Sure. I couldn't sleep. I was reading. I heard the car, and I thought maybe I... Something I want to tell you about last night, Lou. Something you don't know. All I know about last night is that you and Karen went surfing by moonlight this morning. A girl named Phyllis rode up and yelled, cop in your face, because no more beautiful Karen. <laughs> After that, I lose you. Just listen to me, huh? Well, I'm listening, Jeff. Well, like you said, I went surfing with her. After that, she needled me into taking her to that joint down the highway for a beer. Well, it's been done. A beautiful girl sometimes merits a beer. Ah, oh, Janie doesn't know about it, huh? That's what you're trying to say? And something else. All right, something else. It was while we were in the joint. She... Well, you know Karen. You'd know what she... Yeah, if only you batted an eye. Is that what you did, Jeff? I had to walk out on her. She followed me out. I told her off. Put her in her car and told her off for the rest of time. Marriage, I said to her. Happily married. And a couple of other things I said. She cried, and then she drove off. I walked the beach for a long time. Jeff. It's the last I saw her, Lou. I swear it. I swear it. What's eating on you, kid? A little while ago, I found her floating in a kelp bed, dead. I think murdered. Where were you going just now, Jeff? To the police. Jeff. Yeah? Police is where grief is. What? You told Karen off, you said, and never saw her again. You swore it when I didn't even know what you were talking about. Don't you believe me? Don't. Police is where grief is. Police and Karen murdered can burst wide open what you got with Janie. You forgot a thing, Jeff. What? You didn't walk a lonesome beach last night. You left Karen, you came to my house. We sanded the surfboards. Isn't that what you forgot? Lou. From me to you, an alibi. An alibi maybe you don't need, but from me to you. Because of what you and Janie mean to me. Because of what he said. Because it was a big grief. Because it might kill what it was Janie and I had together. A summer and beach and sky and sea and a love I had for her. I waited till Lou had gone back into his house. Then I swam out to where Karen was. I took off her the jacket I'd lent her the night before. I swam back to shore and found a littered strand of beach and burned the jacket and buried the scorched rags. And I went home and slept. And it was Janie who woke me. Jeff. Jeff, there's a fellow outside. Huh? What? A fellow outside wants to talk to you. Who? A Mr. Anders, a policeman. Look, Janie, no matter what, that phone call last night. From Karen? That phone call? No matter what, don't say anything about it. Nothing. A fellow's waiting at the door for you, Jeff. No matter what, do you hear? No matter... You want to see me? You, Jeff Marlowe? That's right. Swimmer found a girl out in the kelp this morning. Girl we all know around here. Karen Lawrence. Well, what's that got to do with me? 
She was murdered, Mr. Marlowe, strangled. Somebody killed her and put her out on the tide. Let's go inside and talk about it. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Tyrone Power with Kathy Lewis and William Conrad in The Guilty Always Run, tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Tyrone Power in Elliot Lewis's production of The Guilty Always Run, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Karen Lawrence, Mr. Marlowe. How come she's dead? I don't know. Jeff? Oh, it's nothing, Janie. This gentleman just wants to know if I know Karen Lawrence. Why does the gentleman want to know that, Jeff? Well... Why do you want to know that? She's dead. That's not the question I asked you. She was murdered. That's still not the question. Asking around about her, your husband's name gets mentioned more than anybody else's. I see. And she was murdered, all right, in case you've got any doubt about it. Strangled. Bruise marks here and here. Two thumbs, you know. Wearing all her clothes. Good swimmer, I understand, so we've got a tab at murder. And I've got to ask, Mr. Marlowe, if you killed her. No, sir, I did not. But you know her. Oh, yes, sir. Now, look, you don't have to yes, sir, or no, sir, me. Okay. Uh, you were with her last night. We got that from Phyllis George, a friend of hers. Well, look, this is what happened. One day, Karen comes up from Malibu with a board and pretty helpless about getting it from her car to the surf. Yeah, when was this? Mm, ten days ago. Eleven. 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 The afternoon of the morning I broke my hip. Well, I can pick it all up till yesterday, Marlowe. Uh, talk has it she liked you. Did talk have it I tried to ignore her? Yes, it did. Did talk have it that right off I told her I was married? Yes, and... yes, it did. I also checked next door your friend Lou Foster... He says he was with you around the time the girl was probably killed. Then what are you coming around here for? And What about the bar? Bar on the coast highway near Topanga Canyon, Marlowe. Barkeep said okay, that you were... Okay, okay. Like a fool, I took her down there for a beer night before last. Night before last is when she was killed. To talk it out, to tell her to stay away. Look, maybe to you it sounds... Well, don't like... get yourself excited, Marlowe. That's just what I'd do. Dame was chasing me, didn't want her to... Take her some quiet place and talk to her. Adult. Over a beer. Well, I hope your hip gets better, Mrs. Marlowe. Thanks. And thank you for your courtesy. Both of you. Sure. Jeff? Yeah? You didn't tell me you took her for a drink. Just for a beer. Oh. Now look, Janie. To tell her not to love you anymore, Jeff? What's been going on, anyhow? Hello? Mr. Marlowe? That's right. Who's this? Norm. Norm? Yeah, Norm Sloan, Mr. Marlowe. I got the Topanga Innery on the Coast Highway. You've been in here. In fact, night before last, you were in here with Karen Lawrence. 
I understand from the police that Karen... What do you want? I can't talk to you over the phone, Mr. Marlowe, but I wish you'd stop in here any time in the next half hour or so. If I were in your shoes, I would, Mr. Marlowe. Bye. Who was it? Nobody. Who was it, Jeff? Nobody. I'm going out. You don't want to hear my troubles, Mr. Marlowe, so I'll just tell you this. I didn't tell that policeman about the arguments you and that girl had in here. Since you were the only ones in here, then I'm the only one who knows about it. And what happened out front when you left? How she was carrying on and crying. And from what Mr. Anders, that policeman, said, she must have been murdered a couple hours after you left here with her. Now, uh... Look, I don't know what you told the police, but you came down when I called Mr. Marlowe, so what am I to figure? As long as you're here, Mr. Marlowe, I'd like to know what it feels like to go out to Santa Anita with a thousand dollars and not care if I win or lose. With a thousand dollars, Mr. Marlowe. Today, Mr. Marlowe. A thousand? For what, Jeff? For what I need. To buy off a murder charge. Are you crazy, kid? You got it, Lou. You're gonna give it to me? You're crazy? How deep into it can you get? A thousand now? A thousand a week, maybe, for the rest of your life? And You're then not you... gonna do it, huh? You're not gonna give it to me. Who are you buying from, Jeff? Sloan. Runs the beer joint on the highway. He saw me and Karen outside his... A thousand, huh? He must have seen a lot. You'll get it back, Lou. Every nickel. All right, Jeff. Drive me to my bank. And Jeff... Thanks. Thanks. That's not what I meant. This is what I meant. This'll do it, Jeff. It's as far as I can go. So luck and a long life, kid. We just stared at each other for a while. And I had to lift his hand from his side to shake it. No more talk. I drove him to his bank. Lou got the money, gave it to me. I drove him to his house and then went to Sloan's joint. Bought a bottle of beer. Drank half of it. Paid him a thousand dollars for it. Sloan laughed from deep in his stomach. honey. Who is this? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, there's no one here. <laughs> honey, baby, it's Jeff. Uh, no, no, th- there's no one here by that. Jeff, listen, the police are here, they... What, what are you... That you, Marlowe? This is Anders Marlowe, sheriff's office. Now listen, Sloan, that beer joint fella, he called the office a little while ago, said you offered him a hundred dollars to keep his mouth shut. A hundred? You come in, Marlowe, because when you did that, you practically signed a confession. Marlowe, you understand what's happening to you, don't you? You understand what's going to happen to you?
the receiver hang and let him talk into nothing, and I ran. Off the coast highway, down the beach. A couple of miles farther to Santa Monica Pier. Farther to Ocean Park. Me. Wanted for murder. Because Karen, dead Karen, wanted a part of my life, and I wouldn't give it to her. Because her girlfriend stuck her face into mine and yelled, Cop! Girlfriend, Phyllis George. I found her address in the Venice phone book. I went there. Rooming house overlooking one of the phony canals they have. Second floor rear. Phyllis, scared, staring, holding it in. You just get out, you hear? Just keep away from me. You gotta help me, understand? Things you know about Karen. Fellas she knew. One fellow, maybe, who wanted her dead. You! You did it! Nobody wanted her dead. Help me, help me. What was it you had with Karen? It makes you choke her and kill her and throw her out into the ocean like she was... I didn't. I didn't kill her. You get out of here, huh? Because you scare me. Because you scare... Just listen, huh? Anything you know about her that I can take to the cops... Keep away. Keep away. Kill her. Kill her. Kill... Shut up. Shut up. Like Karen, huh? That's how you... That's what you did to her killer? That... Like you wanted to do to me just now? No, no, I don't. Don't. Don't do... Hello. Lou, this is Jeff. Listen, how's Janie? I didn't call her because the line's probably tapped or something. How's Janie, Lou? She's okay. Where are you? I I want you to meet me, Lou. Tell me how things are going. How? I gotta talk to somebody. Sure. Where are you? Phone booth outside a drive-in laundry in Venice, Rose and 3rd Avenue. I'll pick you up there, kid. Right away, Lou. Right away. How you feeling, kid? Scared, Lou. Yeah, I'll bet. How did I get into this, Lou? What happened? Why am I running away? Uh, Jeff, let's not... Let's not what? Let's not kid. Huh? Because I'm in this, too. That alibi I gave you. What do you mean, let's not kid, Lou? The way you pounced on the alibi, paying blackmail. Is that any way for an innocent... You're saying what, Lou? Come on, Jeff. You really think I killed her, don't you? Listen, Jeff, Janie and I were talking. Janie thinks I killed her. Yeah. Yeah, she does, Jeff. You ask and I told you. Okay. Okay. What are we stopping for? This is where you're getting out. What are you talking about? Hey, what is this? Open the door, Marlo. That's the boy. Now come on out. That's it. You can slide out, too, Mr. Foster. Sure. Sure. Lou. That's right. I told Mr. Anders I'd bring you here, kid. Look, I didn't kill her. I did a lot of things wrong, but I didn't... Just don't whimper, Jeff, huh? The old nerve, kid. Like sliding in on a big one. Like the thrill things, kid, huh? Like you and Karen. It wasn't like that. How was it, kid, huh? 
What was the formula? Flex the muscle and be polite. Brown eyes looking up at you and here, take my coat. You must be cold and let's have a beer and back to the beach. Ooh. Back to the beach and after all of it, she was only kidding all the time. What did you strangle her for? The coat, Lou. How did you know about it? What? The coat. My coat I put on her. Uh, sure, the one she was drowned in. There was no coat. I went back there after she'd been murdered. Took the coat from her and burned it. The same crazy reason I did everything wrong. How do you know about the coat, Lou? Now, look. Nobody this... knew about that coat but me and whoever killed her. Then why did you come running to me for an alibi? I didn't, Lou. You suggested I ought to have one. You would be my alibi. That way, you'd have one, too. What about it, Foster? <sighs> what can he say? Those phone calls, call and hang up till Janie got on the line. Then let Janie listen to her in pain and calling out my name. Start suspicion right at home base. You really built it, didn't you? I, uh... We better go. I... Hey, don't shoot that, Foster! Stop! Hey! Hey, don't! Lou didn't die. He'll stand trial. Summer's fading and vacation's long over. But sometimes, sometimes on weekends, Janie drives me out to Point Dune. And we sit there. And we watch the sunset ride in on the long, slow curve of surf. And we don't talk. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com.